I don't believe that persuasion actually works anymore. Empathy has absolutely replaced persuasion from a human evolution standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, from a marketing standpoint. Empathy is the new black and it's sexy. It is what connects people to you. This is the most effective way to helping someone make a change or to allowing someone to make a change that might be really hard for them. I don't really approach things with persuasion. I do think it's about empathy. I think it's about entering in the conversation that they're already having in their head. It's about giving them the information that they need to make a confident decision. Welcome back to the Honest Marketing Podcast, where you learn proven strategies to grow your business without selling your soul. And in the crazy global economic recession, shutdown, fears, what the heck is going on, kind of what we're living in, copywriting is so, so important as a business owner. Knowing how to write words online that help you connect with your ideal customer, relate to them in an authentic way, and help them along the process and the journey of solving problems in their life and being a guide in that process. That is what's gonna separate businesses that not only survive in this period, but thrive and grow from those that use outdated manipulative tactics that aren't working anymore and you don't wanna be in that position. So that's why I'm super excited to be able to share this interview and conversation I had with my friend, Brittany McBean, who is a phenomenal copywriter and shares the ethos of this podcast, really showing up to serve, but doing it from the mindset of how do we make money? How as businesses can we support ourselves, support our employees, enjoy a profit, grow something healthy that we love to do and meets the needs of our customers? So we're gonna talk about how important getting to know your audience is we're going to talk about crafting an offer or a promise that really helps connect you with the people you're trying to serve. And then what does it look like to write sales copy? How do you create a sales page? What are the pieces you need to have in place? How do you speak to objections and overcome them? What, what is persuasive? What is manipulative? What is empathetic? All of those things and more we cover in this episode. So make sure you stick around to the very end where I highlight my number one takeaway. But without further ado, let's dive in. So Brittany, first things first. What is copywriting? Not copywriting like trademarking something so somebody else can't use it, but like the act of writing copy. Like, how would you describe that? Loaded question. Um, there is a marketer. Her name was Judith Charles. I say was. I'm honestly not sure if she is alive or dead. I think this was a while ago, but she has a quote that says a copywriter is a salesperson with a keyboard or like the salesperson behind a typewriter or something like that. I like that a lot because I think it kind of just, I don't want to be reduced to a salesperson, but I, I think that that does kind of sum up the, the act and art of writing copy is about using your words to make money. And then I think the next level of that is then like strategy and messaging strategy and marketing strategy and um, and copy is like the last part of that, but it's also a part of that. And sometimes copywriters do both. Like I consider myself a strategist, um, but if we're just talking like copywriting, it is putting words on paper that are meant to make you money. So that doesn't, in, for me, like include like content, like blog, social. It's not that that isn't copy. It's just... A little different. That makes sense. Right. The, the intent is different when you yeah. write a blog versus a social media yeah. post or something like that. You're not, mm -hmm. you're not trying to trigger a sale on the back end of that post necessarily. Not yeah, Not usually. Right. So thinking about copy, because again, this is the way that you described it, I think is really, really smart is copywriting is 
words that help you sell something. Um, and the way that I've always thought about it is copywriting is about persuasion, but that that can also be a loaded word, persuasion. Yeah, yeah, because it could be persuasion as manipulation or persuasion as intent, like really excited, confident encouragement, knowing you can help the other person. So how do you how do you actually write copy and be a good human being? Uh, and, and I say that kind of like tongue in cheek, but seriously, I think when it comes to copywriting and sales pages and performance optimization and all of those kind of things, it's so easy to default towards, well, the numbers tell us that we should change this word mm-hmm. to like increase this conversion without really considering the downstream effects of the impact it has on the person even visiting the website. So, so kind of walk me through like what that looks like to create copy that is persuasive, that does work, but also have those firm boundaries and filters for what you will and won't say. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this and um, I'll just let you ask questions and we can get as detailed as you want because I do think that there are some very specific, um, like tangible practices you can do or not do, but from a high level, and I know you've talked about this in some of your other episodes with some of your guests, just like how things have changed. You know, we look at the Mad Men era, the 50s, and then like the, like, everybody's got money and we're all spending it in the 80s and and there's just we've seen a lot of like variations on a theme and I think that that theme has ended and, and a new one has popped up um, and, and what worked didn't work. And it's not because we now need to try new things and manipulate people differently. It's because our audience is, is really smart. Um, they've gained a degree of critical thinking about their advertising. They're a little more aware of, of what goes on in the capitalistic machine. Not everybody, but a lot of people. And also we have more options so they can be more discerning. So um, I I don't use a lot of old school tactics because they just don't work. And I think that's where it's easy to do like, not this, but that, right? Like that's that's a little easier, but talking from a more high level strategy perspective, how we come up with the words that do make money and I'm a launch strategist and copywriter, so I work specifically on like funnels and launches of digital products, courses, group programs, masterminds, like that whole like online business world. And um, it's very, very different than than you know like e-com or selling a product or something that's either like a lower ticket decision, a lower risk decision. Um, but the copy we write converts really, really well. Usually two to three times industry standards. And, and I think it is because not that I'm like the smartest, best copywriter in the world, but it it is because the approach is not copy first. So when you're looking at a, at a marketing strategy, whether it's a campaign, whether it's um, a brand, whether it's just a product, whatever, when you're trying to figure out your messaging strategy, copy is the last thing. So it's always audience offer copy. So audience is... First and the most important thing, it is more important than your offer and your copy. Then offer is more important than the copy, and the copy is last. So we say that um, copy is usually can contribute to like twenty percent of the success of your marketing. Um, audience is forty percent, author is forty percent, and that gives you that gives you um, the totality of your conversion. So what we like to do. When I say audience, there's a couple different ways of looking at this. So one way to describe that like formula of like audience offer copy is list offer copy. So the actual people looking at your offer matter more than the offer and then the actual offer matters more than the copy. 
The reason I say audience is because it's not just about starting with the right eyes on the on the page. It's it's understanding who those eyes need to be and then reverse engineering everything from there. So when we're writing a project, you know, typically I'm delivering, you know, a funnel with well over a hundred pages typed and copy because it's a top to bottom, you know, Facebook ads to reg page to all, all of the, all the things to long form sales page, email sequence. Um, we're starting in the research and, and it is all external. Like, yes, I, I study my clients, um, brand voice and their values and their priorities and their offer and their story like that is important, but not nearly as important to the audience. So I tell my clients, like, I'm an asset for your business. Like I am going to deliver you things that can make you money even after this project. But I'm your audience's advocate. I'm not your advocate. Not here. Like I'm here to make you money, but I'm not here to say what you want to say. Right. It's a balance. Obviously, I'm collaborating with them. I have a great relationship with my clients. I'm not like, (laughs) like, Forget you. I'm doing what I want. So starting the process is we're, we're diving into the research and we're studying the audience and really understanding on a very like deep and nuanced level who they are, what they're actively experiencing, what they have experienced in the past, what they've tried in the past. You know, all of these things that really goes five layers past your avatar. Like I'm like, we're not talking to emojis here, like or like Sims characters that are just like standing still and bobbing. Right. Like they're not avatars. They're, they're people. And so yeah. it's it's listening to them and in um, getting that critical mass of information. So we're not just looking at anecdotal evidence or we're not just listening to one person being like, I'm changing everything, right? It's like getting that um, that data at mass, analyzing it. This is obviously something like we do. I don't necessarily think every business owner can spend time doing this, but um, letting those patterns rise to the top and understanding like what are the top things that most people in this audience are actively expressing, struggling with, um, wanting, frustrated by, jaded by, let down by, all, all of those things. Not so that we can like twist a knife, but just understand them, right? And be able to meet them where they are. So then we look at that and then we say, okay, next is offer, right? Like we got we got audience. And so we know that these are the people we're talking to. We have clarity. We can we can actually look at the pie charts of what's going on with these people and um and then run the offer through that filter. So then it's we're looking at whether whether that offer is our website, because that encompasses like our whole brand, whether it is like, all right, we're really trying to get people on our um, blog, we're trying to get people on our YouTube, or or we're usually a product that we're trying to get people to buy, right? Um, so then we say, does this offer actually meet them where they are? And we optimize it through that lens. So rather than like, these are the things that I'm the most excited about, these are the things that took us the longest to put together, these are the features that like me and my team nerd out about, um, are those features important to them? What, like, if you look at the top things they're struggling with, what are the things in your offer that are actually going to, like, address that first, like, lead with those? The other stuff can, like, doesn't need to find its way into copy. It can just be there, right? Or, like, we don't need to use the technical jargon if they really just need to know, like, this water bottle's powder-coated so you don't drop it. Cool. Great. Wonderful. Right? So it's it's optimizing the offer, whether it's optimizing the positioning or actually changing the offer. Like, for my clients with digital products, a lot of times we're saying, like, take out this extra information. It's actually really confusing, overwhelming, or restructure this differently, or add in PDFs, or add in the audio so that it's more accessible, whatever. Um, so then, then you know your people, then you've optimized your offer, and then you go, okay, we're going to write the words to those people about this offer that they're actively asking for, and the copy becomes a lot easier. And then once you do the like audience offer copy 
process to get your copy out into the world, then when it's time to optimize, like you said, like looking at your sales page, you don't start optimizing the copy because you already wrote the copy based on what the people were saying. You go back and you start all over again and you look at your list. Is it the right eyes? Like, have I got the right eyes through this funnel? Are these the right people that we're speaking to? If not, leave the copy there. Let's go optimize the audience. Let's change our targeting. Let's whatever, whatever that is. And then you kind of start the process all over again. So that was a very, very long-winded way of saying copy is really important only if you've done the other stuff. Yeah. Well, and and I love that you laid that out because now we can walk step-by-step step through kind of like a holistic approach approach and process to, as a business owner, as somebody who's on the marketing team, thinking about writing persuasive copy. Uh, and and I, I'm going to start at the end there because there is this natural inclination to think, if I just discover the secret words that magically generate more profit and put them in the right order, in the right <laughs> mm-hmm. color, and, have, and make the button the right size, mm-hmm. all of my problems go away, right? Uh, and... and it's a very easy trap to fall into. It's like, oh, well, that's the easiest thing to fix. We'll just change these words. We'll change these sentences. We'll change the structure. Uh, but like you said, if people are coming there and they're not the right people, or if they're not even connecting with what you're trying to offer them, there's there's no secret chord that David plays the Lord that's going to save your sales page. Nope. I mean, copy formulas are a great place to start when you're trying to like structure something. Um, I think a lot of them are outdated and a lot of them, like even the most popular one, PAS, problem, agitate, solution. Like it is dependent on you twisting the knife in someone's trauma. Not a fan of that one. Like not, you know, but copywriting techniques are great if you're not feeling super skilled or strong or experienced or knowledgeable in that area. But it's kind of like a spork. Like it, it seems like it's gonna like fix all your problems, but it breaks really easily. (laughs) Yeah. So, so let's, let's go back to the beginning, talking about audience and really optimizing that part of the process. What, what are some of the things that you do when you're trying to get to know somebody who would benefit from the business that you are, you've been hired to, to write copy for? Cause I think that's a valuable skill, regardless of whether you're writing copy or not as a business owner, if you don't know the problems that your customers and your prospects are dealing with, it's gonna be very difficult to build a profitable business. Because at the end of the day, it's it's a value exchange, right? They're giving you money because they perceive that the value, the thing that you do is worth more than the money that they're giving you, right? And so so talk through that. Like, what is your approach when you're trying to get to know someone's customers, the people behind the product, and, and starting to understand the things in their life they wish were better? Yeah, I think market research, like... It's a broad term. Um, it sounds overwhelming or it can sound really easy if you're like, I just do this thing. But I think it is the most important thing a business can have in place as a as a system and as like a way of connect, like talking to its people. Um, but you also have to go back and look at the look at the answers, look at the data. So I'll just kind of share our process with our clients because we've really we have a very like proprietary process and it's it's not that it's not custom for our clients because everything is, but it's that like we know how to get the information we need and then and then we go from there. So we're um, looking at three different areas of um, like audiences or three different ways of collecting information really. And in a like a 12 week project for a funnel, like three fourths of it spent in strategy and then like 
three-fourths of that is spent in research. So um, the three places that we're collecting data or the ways we're collecting data is one through a survey. And I'll break that down a little bit more, but that's really where we get like the critical mass. And I literally do make those pie, those messaging pie charts that I, that I talked about because you can really analyze um, the data when you have multiple answers to the same, same question. Um, so surveys and then one-on-one -on -one interviews is how we really connect with our our client's existing audience. So whether it's a buyer or a non-buyer, we're also sitting down face-to-face, -face. obviously can't do this at scale, but usually doing like six to eight interviews with um, people that our client has identified as like, this is the perfect person, this person is ideal, it's who I want to work with again and again and again. Um, maybe some non-buyers who they who they've called out or just people that we've um, identified from the surveys. So we're doing those one-on-one -on -one interviews and that really gives you that more like humanistic slice of life, um, just more nuanced perspective. You know, when you get to see someone's body language and like the words they're saying might be really heavy, but they're not reacting to it. So like how strongly is this affecting them? Or like, wow, they just like their, their voice just caught talking about like the most simple thing. Like what, you know, like you really get to understand what's really, not that I'm trying to make people cry, but like what's really going on with them, right? When you're watching the body language, you're listening to them. Um, and then the third way is a cold audience data mine. So I think this is what most people think of when they think of market research. Um, so this is saying, okay, we got our audience, our clients audience, or our, sorry, I'll stop talking about like what I do. We've got our audience, um, the people who are in our world on our email list, follow us that we can identify what are the people saying? What conversations are they having before they're in our world? That's both top of funnel, um, like information and messaging that we can grab and also just kind of understanding the market a little bit. So when you're doing the cold audience data mining, you're not diving into your existing audience, but this is where you are reading those Amazon book reviews, um, looking at um, Facebook groups. Everybody says go into a Facebook group and do a search or whatever, or like ask a question. Great. That works. Just know that that's for like cold audience. Um Podcast interviews, YouTube comments, blog comments, um, Reddit forums. There's a gold mine out there in the internet where people are talking about their problems. So you could pick, as a business owner, you could pick one of those things and get a ton of information. Just know where that information is going in your funnel. But um, when we look at all of all three of those together, we're able to put not just the messaging hierarchy, not just like the things that we're leading with, the things that we're using to optimize the audience, but then um, where the messages go in the funnel to really like enter the conversation people are actively having in their head at that point in the funnel. So I'm happy to dive deeper into any of those, but those are the three areas that I'm specifically looking at. So it seems like you're kind of casting a wide net to gather a lot of information and then you're filtering the useful stuff and saying, okay, this is really good, or this is a trend, like two thirds of respondents all said this. So that's mm -hmm. most likely the key thing that people are dealing with. What are the other things that you're looking for and trying to identify messaging points or, or things that are gonna be really valuable for crafting the offer and writing the copy to connect with those people? Um, what are the kinds of things that you pick up? One of the, what are the kinds of things that you look for to, to kind of like bookmark and say, okay, we definitely want to say this. We definitely want to address this. We definitely want to speak to this. Yeah, it's really hard not to approach data gathering with your lens and your perspective. Like it's really, really hard to be objective. And so one thing that I think it's really important to do is to make assumptions and then completely abandon them. Like you cannot be doing confirmation bias research. Um, and also sometimes you're like, oh, 
based on what I know about our market or based on our experience or based on like what I've seen across the board, like we didn't get this information, but I could maybe make this educated assumption. Um, but you know, like you said, like you laid out just the difference between trends versus something that's really interesting. I might see something that's really interesting. And then that's like the only thing that sticks out in my head, the whole, the whole project. And, and like, you got to let that lens go. So, um, I think you were able to find a balance of both by the surveys is honestly, I think the most helpful place for me to approach it objectively, because what we do is we'll ask very specific questions addressing um, those things that I mentioned in the beginning, just what's going on in their life, what they're feeling, what they've used before, what they're actively struggling with, what's like happening right now. Um, and then when we're looking at those answers, then we can start to identify the pattern. So like we're on a spreadsheet saying like, okay, this person mentioned X, or maybe they didn't like use that word, but this is the type of thing they're talking about. Okay. Like that's, that's a pattern. Great. How many people mentioned that pattern? And then we're able to say, just tally it up. Like, wow, 58 people said this one word or this one thing was the the most frustrating part of this problem right now. Only two people said this other part was the most frustrating. Doesn't mean those two people don't matter. It's that like in terms of messaging hierarchy, that's not that's not what we're using to lead with the messaging. That's not what we're, what we're using to optimize the funnel. And a lot of times that's the thing that like the CEOs are like, that's what people struggle with the most. And we're like, oh, look, things have changed, right? So that that's where we are able to be like, you know, 95% of people or like 64% of people said this. So like, that's number one. And then like 37% of people said this. So that's number two. Um, and then when it comes to looking for the, those like really interesting, like juicy pieces, we will, we have a whole spreadsheet just called like sticky copy. And that's the, when the words somebody use, how they describe something. I mean, people on the internet are brilliant. Like I, I read Amazon reviews. I'm like, you're a better copywriter than I will ever be. Like I recently got a um, robot vacuum and I bought it because of the reviews. I was like, my people use this. Like these people are witty and sarcastic. I need to get this vacuum. Um, but you know, it's that really interesting copy that, that you can kind of set to the side and be like, I love how someone described this or, or this is how they're describing that thing. But then you have to go and match it back up with the hierarchy. Cause if somebody said something that was like super, super, super funny or witty or interesting, but it didn't show up anywhere in the research, then like maybe that like goes into the content somewhere just cause you enjoy it, but it's not going into the messaging hierarchy. So for me, it really is looking at those patterns and then quantifying those patterns um, to figure out what's making its way into the copy and what kind of hits the cutting room floor for now. Yeah. And that, that is one thing that, that I love about the internet. It, it truly is undefeated uh, when it comes to just brilliance and human nature on display. Uh, oh my gosh. Like the like sugar-free <laughs> gummy bears, the wolf shirt. Like I could go down those Amazon book reviews all day long and I will like, I'll copy and paste. I'm like, that's brilliant. I need to like say something as funny as that. I'll remind mm -hmm. myself how dumb I am by looking at how smart other people are. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it can feel like, not like you're cheating, but it can feel like you're not truly writing copy. But the most persuasive copy I've ever seen is where they're basically saying your own words back to you. It's a bit of a cheat code. And like, to me, all the hard work is everything that comes before that. Writing the copy is the easiest part when you know what to say. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people tell you what to say with their own words. And that's really great. You can't just copy and paste. <laughs> it's right. This right, is right. a thing like this is, <laughs> this is where it gets so tricky because there are times where like my clients say something over and over again that people aren't saying until they're in their world. Like this is where it gets tricky. Cause like, they're like, Oh, all of my students say this. And I'm like, well, 
you gave them that vocabulary and that's okay. That's great. But we can't use that vocabulary top of funnel, but that is something they're connecting with. So keep saying that like, absolutely. But that's not their words. Or it's like they've, somebody maybe has expressed something to us that, or we've been able to look at the information and like intuit like a next level. And it's like, that's really, 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 really painful. And like, people aren't ready to acknowledge that, or they don't, they don't want you to know that about them before they really trust you. So like, even though we know that's happening, it's not making its way into copy because it's either like triggering or it's just a little too like big brothery, like, no thanks. I'm not ready to talk about like, like how my weight loss actually affects my life. I just want to talk about how my genes fit. I'm talking about that from a personal level. I'm not here like pushing diet culture. Um, so yeah, it it is, it is this balance. And then, you know, sometimes we really just need to say what we believe they need to hear. And and sometimes we use their words and sometimes we use our words because if you can, if you can listen to someone, like really listen to someone and then summarize or reflect back what they're saying in a more concise or precise way, then they're like, yes, that's exactly how I feel. I didn't even know to say that, but that's exactly it. So that doesn't mean that like you've got to take all that into account. Like those, that's literally my full-time job. But I think that there is some permission to be like, well, nobody said this word, but then also like if nobody's ever said that word, it doesn't go top of funnel because nobody knows what that means, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and I want to kind of like pull on that, that string a little bit about connecting with your, your customers at that level, because I think when it comes to a business sense, there can be this veneer of professionalism of like, at an arm's length, I'm a business, you're a prospect. And it's like very, it's very logically oriented, right? Mm-hmm. I, I sell a widget and you need a widget. So let's just make this happen. Um, but what, what you're really speaking to is, is approaching sales and marketing from a, a stance of empathy and you as a ding, business ding, em- ding, ding. Em- embodying, the word. embodying something that can serve and help a human being, another complex person with all kinds of things going on, right? And then it's not just this one thing that you solve that they need. It's, there's so many other things going on. Uh, so so when you are thinking through audience, offer, copy, like how do, you, how do you really embody that mindset without it just being like, hey, let's all throw a pity party together, like still having yeah. that position of like, I actually can help. I can step in and actually make this better for you. Um, but I also want you to know that I, I understand and relate to you on a personal level. How do you how do you uh, how do you strike that balance in your approach to to empathizing and then also in writing? I don't believe that persuasion actually works anymore, and that's never. And it doesn't mean like like I think when you say that word, I think we mean the same the same thing. But I think that a lot of times we're like, what's going to persuade people the most? You know what I mean? Like, um. Empathy has absolutely replaced persuasion from a um, like just human evolution standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, from a marketing standpoint. Like it is empathy is the new black and it's sexy. Like it is it is what connects people to you. So I kind of have this working theory and I try really hard not to present like my anecdotal evidence or theories as fact, because unless I've done a peer reviewed study, which I'm not going to be doing anytime soon, like it's not fact, but I've, my husband's a therapist and he um, specifically 
And therapists are not there to manipulate you. They're not there to make you change or make you do anything. And they're really not there to give advice. If your therapist is giving you advice, you have a bad therapist. Um, but he specifically, uh, he works in substance use and trauma and addiction. And um, he uses a modality that is really a way of, of having a conversation with someone that helps them figure out what they want that draws out their values and their priorities and then helps them make a plan to change based on that. Um, and so when he started learning this, I was like really confused. Like I was like, based on research, like actual research, not my idea of research, like peer reviewed actual studies in the therapeutic world. Like this is the most, and it's very empathy based. Like this is the most effective way to, helping someone make a change or to allowing someone to make a change that might be really hard for them. And a lot of times our buyers, clients, students, audiences are like actively seeking out making a change. And this entire modality is completely antithetical to telling people what to do, to manipulating them with their emotions, to believing that you know better than them. Um, and yet to tricking them, you know, to pressuring them, to persuading them. Like, like they literally tell you like persuading someone is the, the fastest way to destroy this process, this change process. And, but then I look at like the, um, the six, uh, what are they called? Like the six, um, influence weapons of influence, you know, that, that we all use the urgency and scarcity, the social proof, the, um, the law of reciprocity. And it's all about manipulating someone. Like if I tell someone I'll give you this, then you feel obligated to give me this. That's manipulation. But, but that's what most of our sales tactics are still based on. So I kind of had this crisis of like, wait a minute, this is what research says, like actually works with people who are wanting to make a change. And it's actually faster and easier and better and in their best interest. But like, this is what all the marketing says and all the, you know, the advertising knowledge that we have, like, where's the disconnect? And I, I was actually like workshopping this with my husband. And he was like, well, like, when did, when was all of that stuff written? And I was like, well, honestly, mainly the fifties, you know, like Mad Men and then kind of like revised in the eighties. And he was like, okay, well, what, what were they selling? And I was like, cigarettes, ties, housewife dresses, like, like products, right? Things that, that, either you were addicted to or that related to status or like the risk was kind of low. And most of us are not selling cigarettes and ties. And if we are, it's like a tie that was made by someone in a disadvantaged community that actually like goes back into their community. Like there's something deeper behind it. But, you know, specifically for my clients, a lot of times they're offering a change, a transformation, whether it's a $200 transformation or $20,000 transformation, it's still a big change for people. And I think that there is a really, really, really big difference between manipulating someone to make a one-time purchase at, you know, like the dollar bin at Target versus if I buy this course or this program, I'm committing to a different version of myself. Um, and that's where I think, that's where I think the breakdown is. So I don't really approach things with persuasion. I do think it's about empathy. I think it's about entering in the conversation that they're already having in their head, you know, and, and you, it's about giving them the information that they need to make a confident decision. So when we say like urgency and scarcity, I kind of 
think that's BS. I don't do it. I won't use countdown timers. Or I mean, my clients can do what they want. Like I won't use them in my stuff because that triggers anxiety. It triggers a fight, fight or freeze response. And a lot of times you're going to have like refund requests because people are like, I didn't actually want this. I just like my heart was beating really fast and I hit buy, you know, um, but saying, hey, after this day, this pricing won't be available to you. If you'd rather wait, if you need to save and wait, you have that information. But if you want to save that money, this is the time. Or the cart does close on this date. This is just information. We're giving them information and reflecting back their experience enough to let them know that you see them, you hear them, like you understand them on a deep level and you're validating them. You're not trying to change them. You're not saying you can't afford not to do this. You can't say, do you think lazy people do this? No, like only like the top 5% do this. Or what are you going to do with your life? You know, that is so manipulative and honestly verbally abusive, you know, but saying like, Hey, it's, it's really difficult to make a change. And especially when you've tried things before that didn't work for you. Maybe you were missing some tools. Maybe some things weren't available to you before. Maybe that wasn't the right time. Maybe now is like only you can make that decision. But in order for you to make that decision, I want to give you the information. So these are the resources or tools inside of this product or this program that you may not have found before. And they're going to solve these specific problems for you because because of this, or, or like, these are my values. If that's a good fit for you, then like, we well, are probably going to work really well together. If that's not a good fit for you, we're not going to work well together, right? It's, it's just about giving them the information they need to make that decision based on what matters to them, and then structuring that information so that you're meeting them where they are, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I just think of uh, <laughs> the the classic sales movie quote, you know, always be closing, uh, ABC and, and, baby ABC and and I remember for me like one earlier on in my entrepreneurial journey and I'm not saying that I'm beyond this now but I remember sure. really struggling with okay yeah I want to practice empathy but I also need to like sell this thing like I need to put food on the table and so right. it's very easy we see them as opposites yeah it's very easy to feel like there's a conflict between my my desire to sell you something and your desire to buy something and mm -hmm. The tendency is always to, to go towards our own felt needs because those are the ones we feel the, the strongest. Um, but the irony being like once you kind of let go of like that kind of manipulative control of like how do I force people to take the action that I want them to take for my benefit, it's crazy how that counterintuitively just like opens up so many more opportunities to help people. Because then they're not just buying whatever you're offering, but they're coming in with the right mindset, the right expectations and the right attitude of of partnering with you to help them with the change instead of always questioning like can you really do what you said that you could do for me uh and and yeah. approaching it with that self-doubt of you know i bought this because he was really used the right secret words on his sales page but i'm not bought in i'm not enthusiastic about this i'm doing it because i just responded to how i was feeling in the moments and and how shifting away from that manipulation towards the empathy can not just help you make more sales, but also like make the whole process of running your business and inter interacting with your customers that much better. Yeah, because refund requests are not profitable. People that <laughs> are like whiny and needy and try to suck all your time and complain and like fill up your support inbox and fill up your support team's time. That's not profitable. Doesn't mean those are bad people. It means that they're the wrong people for your offer. And no testimonials, no case studies, because people didn't 
weren't ready to make the transformation. They didn't participate. They weren't the right person. They didn't actually have kind of like the prerequisite stuff they needed. They weren't in the right place. That's not profitable, right? Like it's, it's so easy to see them empathy and profitability as opposites because it's what we've been taught for so long. You cannot read an advertising book that is recommended from the top, 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 top people and find like empathy anywhere in there. I mean, even honestly, I forget who it was. It was probably like Dan Kennedy or like one of those like Mad Men guys that said like, the customer is an idiot, the customer is your wife. And that's like the closest we get to empathy. But I'm like, misogyny, patriarchy, <laughs> heteronormative, and also like, uh, still kind of calling your wife an idiot. It's just you like this idiot. Not a fan of that. But it's like the closest we get to to empathy. Um, but the reality is like our audience is so much smarter um, if they're younger, Gen Z is so aware of the machine. They know that like corporate is tied up in politics. They know that capitalism runs everything in our life and they're, they're looking for it. They're looking for a reason to advocate for or against something. Um, older generations, millennials, older generation, um, uh, Gen X, you know, we, We've seen all the cheesy Super Bowl ads. We've seen all of the like direct mail win a thousand dollar, ten thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Like, and and even now after the big boom of twenty twenty, when everyone and their mother launched to us using one and very one very specific style of live launching and webinars, all from like the same program from the same people. The audience has seen it all and they are skeptical. They know, they know that if they're signing up for a webinar, you are going to pitch them. And the whole time they're like, I want this information. Is it worth it? Is it not worth it to hear the pitch? And the whole time they're like, what's the catch? How gross are you? Like they're, they're willing to see. They're like, I, I think I know what this is. I kind of know what this is. I'm willing to see. But like, if you pretend like the webinar is not a webinar and then pitch them at the end, people are like, that's gross. Or if you're like, hey, join my mastermind, but you have to spend 30 minutes on a sales call with me before I'll even tell you the price. That's gross. People are like, that doesn't respect my time. Like if I can't afford it, I don't want to talk to you. And if I can afford it, then just tell me so I can know that I can afford it. Um, the amount of jaded that people are is so high that when you just speak to them like a human and just tell them the truth, this is when the cart closes. Hey, guess what? The cart actually doesn't close. So this may not be right for you right now. Or like the cart doesn't close, but this bonus goes away. Or like this bonus doesn't go away because you really need it. You're going to get it no matter what it's in, it's in the program. Like what, whatever that thing is, just actually telling them, hey, you're on a webinar where I'm going to pitch you. And also I'm going to teach you the thing you signed up for. Here it is. Hey, thanks for signing up for my email list. Just to let you know, I email you once a week unless we're like, launching a program or marketing something. And then you're probably going to get like an email a day for like seven days, but it's only going to be once or twice a year. And you can like opt out if you want, just tell people what to expect rather than like trying to be the wizard of Oz, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. It, it doesn't work anymore. So it's not even that they're opposites. It's that like, turns out being a better human also makes better sales because people are smarter and the tricks just don't work. Price stacking, stop it. No one believes that your $500 course is actually worth $20,000 and have the generosity of your heart you're giving it to us for $5,000 or $500. No one believes you. You look like an idiot because you're trying to make an idiot out of us. Not everyone is 
an incredibly deep critical thinker. I think that the capitalistic machine relies on us not being critical thinkers and relies on us pretending like values don't exist or pretending like impact doesn't exist or pretending like, um, I don't know, just kind of accepting things the way they are. And I think that that's something that like we as marketers are responsible for teaching people to do more. Um, so yeah, some of the tricks will still work. There will be people who, um, have experienced trauma and get triggered and make a decision. There'll be people who may not have deep critical thinking skills and are bought in, even if they end up really disappointed, but then they're just going to assume that that was them and not you. It's not you, Tony Robbins. You know what you're doing. I'm the idiot here, right? Um, there are people with intellectual disabilities that are making decisions online because you've like triggered their cortisol, you know? Um, I just think that like on the aggregate being a better human and, and advocating for your people and listening to them is going to be more profitable and less of a hassle. And it's going to help you stay in the market longer, you know? Well, and it's, it's so much more fun to be in business when you're not constantly doing timeshare pitches to people, uh, you know, which is essentially what webinars have become. All right. Yeah. Show up for this, this, I remember my grandparents, they were trying to, uh, they, they saw this opportunity and they were like, okay, yeah, if we go to this, this timeshare pitch seven piece luggage set, like that's pretty valuable. And yeah. it was like, it was like a, you know, a little bathroom kit with like a nail clipper and stuff at the end. It's like, okay, that wasn't the $200 thing we were imagining. Two it was like the $5 pieces. thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's like, oh, so like actually just telling the truth is a better way to go. Imagine that. And yeah. turns out it's also easier to just tell people the truth rather than having to keep track of all of your persuasiveness and, oh, wait, yeah, what did I, what did I promise the over there? Yeah, yeah. Right. Like they're just ending up disappointed and mad at you and leaving a bad review. Like that doesn't get anybody anywhere. No, not at all. All right. So we've talked a lot about audience, which I think is really great because people will come and listen to this episode wanting cop copy advice and we're Gonna... Oh my gosh, do you mean we pulled the bait and switch? Yes, we did. We're the bad guys. We're the bad guys. <laughs> so we're going to deliver. We're going to make sure that we deliver on some coffee strategies now. Let's do it. So that way you cannot accuse us of doing the same thing that we're advocating against. <laughs> so so let's talk about sitting down and sitting down to write copy. And and let's assume that the offer, which is essentially the promise of what your product does for somebody, not that you sell timeshares or that you have a planner or a course, but like, what is the promise? What's, what's the thing that you're saying your product can deliver for the other person? Let's say those two things are matched up. Well, when you're sitting down to write copy specifically in a kind of like a sales perspective, what does that process look like? What's the mindsets? What are the things that you make sure that you hit? H how does that conversation unfold and kind of what are the sections that, and the things that people need to check off to make sure that they're having a full conversation? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm going to do what I've done and not start with copy yet, but I am going to answer your question. But like, once you have that information, then you do need to say, okay, what's the actual strategy? What are the mechanics? So like, for example, in my world, like, are we doing a launch or evergreen? And then what are all the assets? You know, are we using Facebook ads or are we just writing to our email list for all of our existing leads? Are we um, doing a webinar? Are we doing a challenge? Or is this like literally an email only launch? Like, what are the assets? Because then you need to figure out, okay, when I'm talking to these people, where are they? So that I can make sure that like, you're not 
saying, here's my message and like vomiting it all over your marketing strategy. You're saying, okay, if they're at A, how do I help them move from A to B? And then once they're at B, how do I help them move from B to C? It's like these little micro shifts rather than like, all right, A to Z, let's go. Like, boom, like that. I would like $15,000. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Right. So like, for example, if you're, if you're running paid ads to a cold audience, well, then we're specifically going back to that data mine, that cold audience data mine and say, okay, we're pulling like our copy and our messages from that because they haven't met us yet. They're not in our world. Whereas like once we're writing to our email list, then we're starting to look a little bit more at that warmer audience. And it's like, have they been on our list for a long time? All right, let's look at like the buyers and the non-buyers and the and the one-on-one interviews or like, do they just get on our list? So like, okay, let's look at those like those non-buyers and the cold audience and kind of like meet them there, right? So that's one part is kind of laying out your whole campaign and saying like, what conversation am I having on the large scale? And then where does that go at each point in the funnel? Um, when we're writing a funnel, we always, always start with the sales page. That's the very first thing we write because... That is, it's the longest piece of copy. It's the thing that happens right before a buying decision. I mean, the checkout cart really is, but like that's where the messaging goes to live, like the heart of the copy, the heart of the messaging. And so um, when I'm writing a sales page, I'm usually assuming that the people coming to the sales page are problem aware. Five stages of awareness is a whole nother conversation. I have a YouTube video on it. I'm sure you're like, you have talked to your people about it, but that is like, one of the most important tool belts you can have when you're writing copy is the five stages of awareness. So the break sales it down real page, quick. So just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For anyone who's listening, yeah. doesn't want to what it is kind of break Your down. People are mm-hmm. in basically in one of five stages of awareness. There's completely unaware, not a good place to spend your marketing time or money. There's problem aware, which means they are actively aware that they have a problem, um, but they don't know how to solve it. They're not aware of the solutions yet. If they're solution aware, they're aware that there are ways to fix their problem. It might be a book. It might be a free app. It might be your course. It might be a product. It might be a blog, right? But they don't know which one is best for them, or they have tried a couple um, and they still am like, this doesn't work. So solution aware, they're aware of a solution. Then when they are um, product aware, so that's the fourth one, they are aware of your specific product and they are actively contemplating whether this is the right fit for them. Like they are much, it's it's a more in-depth way of saying like cold versus warm, but they're much warmer. They're much closer to the bottom of the funnel, much closer to a buying decision. And then when they are most aware, they're on your checkout page, they're entering in their credit card, they have basically decided that this is the right thing for them. They just haven't clicked by yet. Is there anything else that they need to see to click by to make that confident decision? So unless you're like, I am selling this to people who have been on my list and followed me for 10 years and heard everything I have to say, because people never hear everything you have to say and you think they did because you've said it a million times and they still haven't. Um, I assume that people are problem aware on that sales page. So at the top of the sales page, we are the, like the headline is not promoting the product because they're not product aware. The headline is speaking to their problem or or maybe even the solution that they're looking for if they're a little bit further down in the funnel. And then that really top quarter of the sales page is reflecting back the problem to them in a way that shows them that like, we know how this shows up in your life. We can see this in like, slice of life, not agitating the pain, not calling out their deepest trauma, just showing them, I see you, I get you, so that they're like, you see me, you get me, what else do you have to say? And then we're moving down to solution aware and then we're moving down to product aware. And I think it's really, really, really important to describe your solution before you name it. Because if you say, this is the problem you're having and that's why you need to try zero to 110 days. They're like, 
what? What is that? But if you're like, this is a problem you're having, which is why a solution that allows you to um, start here and then gives you the tools that get you here, and then you have some support and mentorship, um, that's going to allow you to get what you want. By the way, I've created that thing for you, right? That, that Then it's like zero to 100. I don't know what we're doing. 100K, 100 miles. I don't know. We're, well, some, we're getting to 100 of something, right? It's a good number. Um, it's a good number to yeah, shoot for. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Because it, it could be like, I can make $100. I can walk 100 steps. Can't do 100 miles. Um, but then we're doing a bit of a product tour where we're laying out. Now we're getting into more details. You start with emotion at the top. People make decisions emotionally, justify it logically, um, not manipulating emotion, reflecting back their emotion. Then we have a bit of a product tour, which is like, these are, this is what your experience is like. These are the features that will really be meaningful to you that will really aid in the transformation you're looking for. Um, and then we move into the call to action and, and, the social proof. And um, this is what it looks like for other people, both the minimum viable win, the average win, maybe a big possibility, but not that's not the only social proof you have on it. I know that's really important to you as well. Um, and then we're moving into to those details that um, mitigate risk, that provide the social proof, that allow them to click that call to action button, um, your guarantee, all of that stuff. That's why that's at the bottom of the page, because then they, they're interested. They're like, I think this is for me. Prove that this is safe, right? So that's a sales page. And then once we have that core messaging there, it's also because it's specifically for us, like because it's the most copy, I want my clients to be like, yep, love this, great. Or like, no, hate this, let's change all these things before we write everything else. But then we just go and disseminate. And then we say, okay, like if we, if sales page is step D, what is step C? What is B? What is A? Let's back it up. Let's write those top of funnel ads. Let's write the um, the show up email or the warm up emails or the pre-launch emails, whatever, um, that will get them to the sales page. And let's write the launch emails that, Honestly, launch emails is just dissemination of the messaging on the sales page because it's just like diving deeper into the little points on there. Um, and then the checkout card is just one of those final, you know, risk mitigating things. So specifically for what I write, that's how I think through things. But I think that also translates to when you can look down and say, what is the actual customer journey? What are the assets, like the the physical assets that they're encountering? How can I disseminate the messages to meet them where they are? And then thinking about those five stages of awareness and just making sure that you're kind of moving through those so that you're not giving the 30-day money-back guarantee in a Facebook ad. Why do they care about that? They don't even know what you're selling. And you're not like, you get 500 videos of when they're like, I don't even know if I like you, much less if I want to see your face <laughs> 500 times, you know? Right. Yeah, but yeah. when they're like, oh, I really like you. Is this different than that other course? Is this different than that free app? Like... Oh, you give me templates and spreadsheets and downloads? Yes, please. I will take those, right? Um, did that did that answer your question? I know it wasn't like use this word here, but I think when well, you've done I, the research the, and then you think about it that way. It's the answer we need, right? So so again, <laughs> it, it's it's very easy to be like, oh, if I just put the word secrets in here somewhere, people will discern that I have secret knowledge that once they give me their credit card, I will give them secret knowledge. But little do they know, on the back end of that is an upsell to the super secret knowledge that is only for my mastermind. It, it, so I think that can be the tendency when you think about sales copy versus let's have a full conversation with this person, starting with where they are, guiding them through those stages of awareness to the place where they actually not only recognize there are solutions to the problem, they actively want to solve the problem and they feel good about actually pursuing a solution to this problem. And it's not coming from a place of manipulation, but an eagerness to make their lives and themselves better. 
and it's and it's self-driven motivation versus let's manipulate this person into typing in their 16-digit credit card. Um, now, one thing I want to ask you, super technical, how do you use an FAQ section on a website, on a sales page? Um, is that- Love that question. The, the junk drawer or is it, nope. hey, these are questions that come up over and over again, or is that another opportunity to speak to the person? Because I've seen people use FAQs as like, okay, well, here are the other questions that we get frequently. And the tendency is, well, let's make an FAQ section instead of let's address that in the copy because that's clearly yeah. a recurring oh theme. How do you use yeah. FAQs to, oh, I love it. to so help many, with that process? So many people are like, okay, FAQ, like what course program do you use? No, stop it. No, nobody cares, right? So I actually think FAQs and social proof are really similar. We have a tendency to put them on an island and to think of them very technically, whereas they are strategic and need to be strategically placed in your copy when people are actively like asking that question, needing you to actually back up a claim that you made. So with FAQs, like on my website, I actually have them in a couple different places. Like I have them in the about section. I think it's a new website. I'm still trying to remember. Um, I have them on like the services page. Like when people would be like, oh, I have a question, right? Like something is popping up. The sales page, they are in the second half, but they're not like the last, last, last thing. And it's not a throwaway. You're not answering. Here's the thing. If you have a lot of support requests about user experience, about technical stuff, like support requests, that's not an FAQ. You haven't done your job. If they're like, I don't understand. Is this a self-paced course? Are you live with us? You haven't done your job describing the offer. Go put that back in the copy, right? If you're getting confusing um misunderstanding, people not reading, put it in more places, describe it more clearly, right? When you're looking at your FAQ section, you are saying, what are the objections that people are still actively telling themselves to either convince themselves that they're not right for this, if they are, to convince themselves that they're not good enough to do this, that it would never work for them. And then rather than tackling those objections or overcoming them, which is like, incredibly aggressive and I don't know why we're using like football when people are having legitimate like can I afford this or not questions but you just answer their hesitations by validating them so like for example an FAQ is can I afford this you don't say you can't afford not to do this you say hey if this is actually going to cause you to like struggle financially or maybe prevent you from being able to meet your responsibilities this isn't the time wait until next time by the way that's going to be in April right like you're just giving them information but if your biggest concern is X, then then this feature might actually address that, right? So you're like, you're taking the hesitations, the reasons people are saying this won't work for me, and you're addressing them in the FAQ. And then if you have support questions coming in, do your job to explain your offer better, do your job to explain their experience better, and then just have a support email at the bottom of the sales page or something. Perfect. Well, I mean, we could we could just keep going for another hour or two. Uh, so maybe we'll just have to do a part two and a part three yeah, of this. Yeah, let's uh, do it. But... Uh, for, for anyone that's listening that wants to learn more about you, maybe consume some of your content um, and potentially reach out as a, you know, a potential client in the future, what's the best next step for somebody who wants to get to know you better? Yeah. Um, I talk to hear myself talk on YouTube. I love, I cannot, I cannot deliver a short video. I'm trying. My YouTube manager is like, <laughs> oh my God, stop turning over an hour of raw footage. Cause I just like this, I talk and talk. I'm like, this is another thing I know, but I do love to talk on YouTube and I'm often giving, um, high level 
stuff like this, but also some really specific and tangible stuff about specifically online and, and digital marketing. Um, so that, that would be a great place. Feel free to go and binge. Feel free to hit subscribe. I'm like really famous. I have like 200 subscribers. I know, I know I'm making <laughs> millions on there. Um, and there's always like a call to action to get on my email list in there. So that would be a great place. And then if you're interested in working together, I have a very simple inquiry process. Do not DM me. Do not email me. I will miss it. I will miss that notification. I will forget. Um, just brittanymcbean.com forward slash contact. And you can inquire and apply there. And that just kicks off the whole um, process. And then we get on a call together and go from there. Awesome. And those will be linked in the show notes. If you want some quick references to be able to click off of this app, wherever you're listening or watching, Go check that out, Brittany. Thank you so much for your time and everything that you shared today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So my number one takeaway from that phenomenal conversation that you just heard from Brittany is that empathy is the new black. It is the thing, not just as a tactic to manipulate people into buying more things from you, but as a way of connecting with people online that more and more people are wising up to the strategies and tactics of yesteryear and are very aware of businesses trying to manipulate them in order to earn their business. And so if you can show up as a human being trying to help another human being, that's what's really going to set your business apart and really set you up for success. Now, if you want to go deeper down this rabbit hole, learn some more skills about how to be a better copywriter yourself, I definitely encourage you to check out Brittany's YouTube channel, which is linked in the description below in the show notes for this episode. And if you are a coach, if you are a course creator, or if you have a membership and you want to overhaul your copy, your website, your launch, and everything in between, Brittany is phenomenal. So go to our website, fill out that contact form, start that process to see if you'll be a great mutual fit. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode and got a lot out of it. And as always, be honest. (laughs) 